Hi there, I'm John Tennan, co-host of With You in the Weeds. As a team of counselors, we have the privilege of a front row seat. We get to watch every week the way in which God brings people freedom as they have the freedom to be truly known. We want to share some of these stories with you. So periodically, in between our regular series of With You in the Weeds, we're going to insert some of those stories in a special feature that we're calling Stories in the Weeds. Today is the first installment, and we hope you enjoy today's story. Here we go. Welcome to Stories in the Weeds. All of a sudden, nothing was working, and I could just feel myself and everything around me crumbling. I needed help. I was catching myself in a few areas of my life and wanted to understand my story. And I knew that how I could do that was to go to a counselor and begin to explore and and deepen um, who I was. Like, this is good work. This is necessary work. And he's like, this is where a friendship in 40 years is born. And that, and he's so motivating. And that's like, for us, like, we go to counseling, we feel like we're like going to a workout. These are real stories from real people who find real hope in this really messed up world. Now. Here's today's story. Hey guys, today, stories in the weeds. And there's there's essentially three goals here. One, we just want to demystify the counseling experience uh, for people. You know, it's kind of a buzzword, go to counseling, mental health, all that. And yet sometimes for people that seems really scary, like what the heck's going on? This is just attempt to uh, bring some clarity to that. Um, second goal and a hope is that want to help equip you to know if and when it's time to seek professional counseling, or maybe when it's time not to seek professional counseling. Maybe the things you're going through in your life, you realize, actually, I don't need professional help. Um, Third thing we want to do is just hope to normalize the struggles of everyday people. Um, No matter what you're going through, something big, something small, it's normal. We live in a fallen world and we go through things that in a lot of ways, we're not equipped to handle, and we can always use some help. And a big help for me, and I'm sure my guest uh, coming up would say, is that just to feel normalized. So um, today, who do we have here today? We have my dear friend, James Bachman. I have known you for a long time. I wish people could see the smile you've got on your <laughs> face. You've been to my house. We've enjoyed whiskey together. You've overseen swim lessons for my kids. You're just an all-around great guy. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, all that. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be on this. Um, my, yes, my name is James. I am here in Columbia with my wife, Rachel. We have a seven-month-old daughter named Callie and Lots a three-year-old Australian Shepherd puppy. So, you know, got to have that. Named? Indy. Indy. She oh, is a ball man. of energy, and she demands our attention even when we don't want to give it to her. Who do you love more, your dog or your daughter? <sighs> <laughs> daughter <laughs> say that but i also am uh, i truly believe that <laughs> thankfully um you get any sleep these days oh man sleep is kind of hard to come by these okay. days uh okay. some mornings uh we wake up at 3 30 sometimes we wake up at Gosh. 6 a.m so it just depends but it is a joy <sighs> and thankfully sleep is better now than it was a month ago oh so i will take those ones where i can get them oh man um, I'm, I'm so sorry yeah, yeah no but it's just part of the life <laughs> so we're thankful for that yeah well i'm uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here Maybe tell just a little bit about um, why you're even here and what, you know, what you've been through, all of that. 
Yeah, so uh, I'm here because I have been in counseling uh, here at The Crossing for a few years uh, on and off. Uh, I've taken some stints where I was in for specifically for some uh, some areas of concern in my life and in my family, uh, family of origin. And then also, uh, most recently, my wife, Rachel, and I started marital counseling mm. uh, and have been kind of back and forth in that. And so just the experiences that I've been able to process through with my wife and also um, about my family and my life, that is kind of why I'm here mm. is to kind of process through that. Yeah. And like you said, demystify a lot of those concerns that people have because yeah. I was one of those people that thought if you go to counseling, it is because you failed or you've gotten to a, p- a part of your life where um, you are incapable of doing mm. something about it and yeah. you need somebody's help, yeah. uh, which was scary and terrifying for me. And I'm excited to kind of uh, debunk that a little bit yeah. because that was an area of concern in my life. And now um, I'm very pro-counseling sure, sure. in all of the areas. So it sounds that. like you said you've gone a couple times for some different reasons. Can we, uh, and if nothing else, we'll like slow things down to 0.25 speed here. The very first time you went to counseling, what was going on? Why did you go? How did you know it was time to go? All of that. Yeah. Great question. So it was uh, middle of college for me. I had just started leading in Crossing Students at the time, which is our uh, student ministry here at the Crossing, uh, was deepening my faith and Part of what happened for me personally is that I began to become more aware of my own story as I was learning who I was in Christ. Mm. Uh, And what that revealed is there were imperfections in my family, in myself, and uh, I was wanting to understand how I could be a better son to my mom and dad, how I could be a better brother to my siblings, uh, and ultimately just a better person. I was realizing uh, that I was catching up uh, or I was catching myself in a few areas of my life and wanted to understand my story and the context of my story better. Mm. Uh, and and I knew that how I could do that was to go to a counselor and begin to explore uh, and, and deepen um, who I was mm-hmm. due to that. And then uh, right around the time that I was on the wait list, my dad actually passed away mm. um, right before I was going to start counseling. So why I was going to counseling became a totally different reason. Holy cow. So let me make sure I get this right. You went in because essentially, initially, you wanted to explore your story, see how your parents impacted you and yes. all of those things. And as you're on the wait list, getting ready to go, your dad passes away. Yes. And so it sounds like you say more there was a very different reason, a yes. very different issue you went in with. Yeah. And it sounds a little ridiculous to say that it was God's timing because it's all God's timing. Like God has his hand in very unique ways in my life. And looking back, it's way easier to say, yes, clearly God had his hand in certain areas of my life. But this is very evident that being able to process my story, uh, understand grief and how to mm. really do it well was of the utmost importance. We, uh, our family was kind of going through that grieving period with a pastor in St. Louis, uh, but going through family counseling was a lot different because all of my siblings had different expectations, different ideas. And so being able to explore it on my own was so helpful and healing in so many different ways. Oh, wow. So this happened in St. Louis. You're going to a counselor as a family, which sounds like was good and right and helpful. And yet what you realized is you needed some time to have your own experience. Yeah. Yeah. It was totally okay that we had um, kind of a a voice for our family of where are we at, what's happening, what's going on, because it was a total shock. My dad was 58 
He was young. And so to have this happen um, was just a total shock for our family. So we were all trying to pick up the pieces of what happened. And then for me personally, um, the relationship I had with my dad, um, he was a mentor. I, I cared about him a lot. Mm. He, he and I were working on a couple of projects together. And so to have him pass away in the middle of all of that left me in a spot of trying to figure out what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my story? Hmm. Um, and also, what does this mean for the impact of how God is going to use me? Because I was really confused and really frustrated. This was the uh, deepest I'd ever been in my faith, had the best community that I've ever had. Hmm. And yet, this is the time that I lose my father. Hmm. And so very confused and was just trying to process through all of that. So thankfully, I was able to do that in the context of counseling hmm. and have someone to give me some tools, give me um, <laughs> something to kind of help process yeah. through that. Can I, and again, share what you want, don't share what you don't want. Um, do you remember what that first session was like going yes. in? What Tell us, fill in whatever you want. What was that like for you? Yeah, I remember waiting um, to go into counseling and having a million thoughts running through my head of mm. what are we going to talk about? Uh, is this going to be intense? Is this counselor going to hammer down and have me answer all of these different questions? And what what is going to happen? And I remember walking in and being totally disarmed because the counselor waiting for me uh, just said, hey, what, what do you want to talk about? And I remember having this like sense of relief of, oh, he's not going to drill me with all these questions of like, all right, we're going to, you know, tell me this, that, and the other. He was like, what, what do you mm. want to sit here and address? What was it about that that you think kind of lifted the pressure? Well, it made it feel like less of a performance in some senses where I had to, <laughs> for, for most of my life, I feel like I am trying to be enough for other people. And what this mm. counselor did is uh, allowed me to realize that I'm not here to impress anybody. I'm not here to impress him. He just wants to know what's going on. He wants to get a 30,000 foot perspective of my life to know, hey, how, do, how should we begin to engage in your story? Which makes a ton of sense when you take a step back and realize, yeah, that's exactly what counseling is and has been for me is we're just going to get a bigger perspective. Mm. Sometimes I get so zoomed in on my life that I forget that there's a bigger picture happening. Mm. And so what he did and what I felt is that it's the second that he gave me the license to kind of explore the space on my time at my pace it made me feel at home and comfortable mm. rather than I have to impress or perform or have it all together. Mm. That's not at all what counseling was about. And yeah. so the second that I realized he was giving me freedom to explore that at my own pace, it really freed me. Huh. So did you, did you, um, and again, if I'm pushing too much, that's fine. That'll be the last time I make that disclosure. <laughs> Where'd you go? Did you start talking about what happened with your dad? Did you do your earlier issue? Like, what'd you go? What, what'd you do? Yeah, it was kind of a word vomit, honestly. I had no, I had no idea uh, when he asked me what I wanted to explore. Uh, it was freeing, but also I was trying to collect myself and um, knowing myself, I began to just spit. Just and go. He, it was kind of like a, a shell shocked look on his face at first because he was like, "Oh my goodness, there's a lot here, and I think you're in the right place." Wow. Uh, and so that was comforting to know, "Hey, you you are in the right place." But I think the the initial thing that I began to jump in is, I don't know how to grieve. I mm. have uh, avoided grief most of my life wow. because I would have put grief in the category of if you have someone close to you pass away, you are then allowed to grieve. 
But what I've found is grief is a lot more than that because it's um, being able to process through the loss of something. And I've never, I had never really given myself the category to uh, feel like loss of something uh, was anything under death of a loved one. Wow. And so being able to explore uh, grief and process grief was one of the first things that I was trying to grasp at and understand because I was not grieving well mm. because I was just angry, but that's part of the grief process. Okay. So let me stop it and let me make sure you get this right. You used to believe that the only time somebody can really grieve is if there's this huge, massive, big tragedy yes. in your life. Anything lower than that or just little itty bitty things, that does not warrant grieving. Correct. But what you learned is that's wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and instead you learned what? I learned that being able to sit in and understand the micro losses or the the uh, micro events that mm. I wouldn't categorize are big enough to process, they're all important. And when I realized that, I had 21 years of micro losses unprocessed to go back and process through. And so at one point it was daunting to look at this mountain of unprocessed grief and loss, but also incredible to realize, oh, I am now able to jump into this with someone that I can trust that is with me. And I don't have to do it all at once that it is throughout my life that to be able to process through, um, with people that love me, care for me. And, um, God reveals certain things to me or has revealed certain things to me throughout my life. And so those micro losses unprocessed, mm. uh, has been a slow churn of getting through those things. Um, yeah. and it's taking time, you know, I think sometimes I get overwhelmed by it and that's okay. I don't have to just sit in it and, uh, process through all of it immediately, but rather, slowly over time um, and with people that trust me or with people that I trust. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, now that you've kind of, you dived in, you're in the weeds of counseling, were there any, uh, I don't know, meetings or times or just events like moments in time that really stand out kind of like aha moments? Do you have one or maybe a couple? I don't know. What what's what comes up? Yeah. So I my my family is incredibly close and tight knit. Uh and I, I say that um out of an area of confidence that the the way that my parents raised me, all of that. And so when we began to jump into my story and my counselor asked, Hey, tell me a little bit about your family. Mm. I had all these walls up all these guards, because I was so nervous that being uh, able to um, talk about my family from a perspective of honesty and what happened was doing them dishonor, was actually uh, just smearing their name through the mud and talking really poorly about them. And I, again, had this view of my family that we protect each other. We don't talk about each other. We care about each other. And that that is that is something that we can't do. We're not allowed to do. So the first time this counselor said, Hey, tell me about your family. It was like, you got your guns up. You're like, it's like, what do you, what do you mean? Talk about my family? What are you asking for? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is protected territory. And so I felt like there were, I was looking at a field full of landmines of, if I say the wrong thing, if I do the wrong thing, I'm going to ruin the family, um, uh, nature that we have wow. that we built up this thing of trust and protection and we cover each other and so it was terrifying hmm. uh, because i was believing one thing about if i talked about my family 
I was blaming my family for things that happened in my life that mm. I wasn't taking ownership and that scared me. But what my counselor gave me the freedom to realize is there's a difference between naming and blaming and being mm. able to put your finger on something is not blaming anyone for anything, but rather being able to say, hey, this happened to me Wow, and that is okay. So you used to believe to name something was to assign blame. Yes. But what your counselor helped you realize and what you know now is that you can separate those two. Yes. You can name... Uh, and explore something without blaming whoever it is for something like that. Yes. What effect or impact did that have on you? Maybe in the moment, maybe over the course of time, how did that change things? It, it made me realize that two things can be true at the same time. That, for example, my wife and I have a fantastic relationship and we fight. There are things- that <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you guys fight. We fight. Polly we and I are mad. waiting. We're waiting for our first fight 14 years in. Tell me how it I'm goes. Just, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but two things can be true at the same time. And yeah. so what I realized is um, there, there doesn't have to be this, um, this exclusive statement about my parents that my parents are amazing. And that's where it stops. My parents are amazing. And there were things about my childhood that were difficult and hard. There were mm. things about them as parents that they were imperfect at times. Mm. And that st that even today, I have this feeling right now saying that terrifies me yeah. because it feels like I'm doing something wrong yeah. by by naming that. But rather, it's giving me the freedom to say, no, actually, um, if we look in the Bible, that's actually a very true statement about all human beings is that we're all, we've mm -hmm. all, you know, fallen short in some ways. We all are sinful. We all are mm -hmm. broken. And that's why the gospel is so beautiful is because there's restoration in that. There's redemption in that. Yeah. And so realizing that um, and also applying that through the lens of the gospel has been really helpful for me to realize, oh man, this is just good. We all should be doing this. Mm -hmm. We all should be able to realize that we shouldn't have this uh, kind of exclusive rights over some part of our story that says we can't talk about that because of X. Yeah. Because all of our story is technically, it's not even ours. It's, it's the sure. Lord's and we're sure. working through it, trying to understand what sure. he's been up to. I'm thinking of this question on the spot, so you might not know it. How does that lesson of separating naming and blaming, how does that relate to your grieving? Yeah. So naming and blaming, I think uh, part of the, the the grief process is going through the good times and also the really difficult and hard times. Mm. Part of the thing that I struggle with even today is being able to process through um, stuff that my dad did and did not do in my life. And so things feel uh, heavy when I talk about my dad, because when I talk about him through things that were hard and difficult, it feels like I'm doing a disservice to my father's name. Mm -hmm. uh, and that to actually be able to honor him would be to talk about the great things and the amazing things that he did as a dad, that mm -hmm. he was as a dad, that he was incredibly present with us and uh, showed up at all events. And, you know, mm -hmm. he was, he raised us really well and all of those things, not the, you know, he was emotionally absent in some areas of my life. That mm -hmm. sounds really difficult to say at times, or feels really difficult to say because right. it feels like I'm saying something really awful about my dad mm. and he's not here to really process through that. So it's almost like when you name things, you're naming not just about your dad, you're naming not just the, the difficult things, you're naming the good things. But when, especially when he died, it felt like naming the difficult things was really, really hard for you. Maybe not even allowed. Yes. And so part of what it sounds like you learned in counseling is you can actually name those things and grieve them and get sad about them and be angry about them. And you can still simultaneously at the same time, there's that word and, you can still honor and love him yes. and remember uh, the value that he brought. 
Yes, because those two things are true at the same time. Yeah. And that's been so powerful to allow for that because it's it's been that door that has been shut for years and cracking it open was one of the most terrifying things I think I've ever done. But now that the door is open and I realize, man, to honor my dad is actually to be honest about what what he was to me. Mm. And uh, that that has been so helpful and healing for me. This is great. We're going to keep this party going, so to speak. We're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, I'm going to ask you two questions, and I would love to hear your answers, and I hope you guys do. Stay with us. Okay, we're back here uh, with my good friend, James Bachman, Brother Bachman. Um, Two questions for you. Yes. Here's the first one. What did you learn about yourself in this counseling that you went to to process your grief with your dad? Yeah, I learned uh, that I have a really powerful inner critic <laughs> ah. that is always on <laughs> mm. and always guiding my life for better or for worse. Uh, and so that was one of the biggest things that I realized is that uh, my inner critic has been my greatest ally. He's also been my greatest enemy because um I have lived my life in fear of Hmm. really being seen and known Uh, because to be seen and known is um, what we need and long for. But what my inner critic tells me, don't do that because guess what? If they reject you, we can't take that. Hmm. And what I mean by we is my inner critic and I having this inner monologue, we, you cannot handle that. Hmm. And so maybe uh, edit your story a little bit, maybe leave out some details, Maybe don't bring this up at this time. Uh, uh, maybe don't do that thing because you don't know what's going to end up happening. Yeah. And so one of the the biggest lessons is just realizing the power my inner critic has in my life, the relationship I have with my inner critic, hmm. and then how to begin to turn down the volume a little bit on my inner critic. Yeah. Or, how? Yeah. how? How, how have you, how have you, I don't know. How have, you, how have you managed that inner critic, so to speak? Honestly, the, the, the best way I've been able, I think to disarm or turn down the volume, whatever word you want to use around it is by voicing it, journaling, processing, bringing people in. So I think, uh, having those trusted allies, those people, uh, so to speak, that are, uh, with you in the 1%, with you in the weeds mm. to use the, some podcast. might say, some might say, <laughs> I don't know where I heard that yeah. from. It's just a good one liner <laughs> to use. Uh, but to, to be with you in the difficult areas, the 1% that knows you best, uh, can challenge and also call you out when they're mm. like, hey, that's crazy. Mm. Like, that's not true. Or I don't believe that about you. Why are you saying that about yourself? Yeah. That I'm a failure or I'm flawed or I'm awful. Or I'm, you know, I can't believe I say I would say something like that because I'm just so stupid. Like being able to voice that to somebody else and they're like, oh, that's, that's a horrible thing to say. Like right. I, if I said that to somebody else, they would feel horrible mm. and probably respond out of frustration or anger or whatever it is. And that's right. But yet I tell that to myself all the time and yeah. don't feel that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it sounds like even as I'm sitting here listening to you and, you know, got my counselor Spidey senses up, this inner critic, the way you've been able to manage it is you've gotten a little more curious and letting it talk going, what, what's going on? Mm-hmm. What, why are you saying this now? What concerns do you have? Yeah. And that's hasn't solved it, Yeah. but it's helped you manage it. Absolutely. And, and what I'm thinking about is it sounds like, you know, this is, uh, sounds like a a protector part yes. that has good intentions of protecting you for lots of reasons, but God love this little part. It's a little misguided. Oh. Maybe the things it's doing are outdated. And so you're learning, Hey, 
let's not do this, let's do that. Does that say that right? You want to add anything else yeah, to that? Yeah, no, it, it doesn't have all the facts or the context. And so uh, running it through my entire life and saying you have full authority to, to make every decision and to, to, to run my life is just going to run you into the ground mm. because in some ways, or it, it has run me into the ground because in some ways it is my greatest ally. It is my greatest protector, but yeah. it doesn't really understand the full story or the full picture. Yeah. And so um, being able to, yeah, be aware of it, be mindful of it because it has good intent mm-hmm. uh, is, is good, but uh, recognizing when to pull back and say, hey, nope, uh, right. you're not in control right. and I'm going to go ahead and give a little bit of context to you or I'm going to bring this yeah. up or you're just wrong. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like even, you know, as you're listening, my guess is a lot of our listeners, they know the inner critic. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and so even a good first step to managing that, even if you can't go to counseling, you don't need counseling to do this, begin to get curious and yep. ask, Hey, what do you want? And realize you are not yes. your inner critic. That's just a part of you. Yes. That's really, really good. Yeah. Um, Okay, question number two. Yes. What did you learn about Jesus in and through counseling with, you know, that what you went through with your dad? Yeah, so uh, the hard thing is I had this view of Jesus that I think was a little misguided in the sense that um, he wanted the best of me, uh, but the parts that were difficult and hard, mm. um, maybe clean that up a little bit before you bring those to Jesus, that I have mm. to be a little bit better uh, or, or good enough for Jesus. <laughs> and obviously saying that now, I realize how ridiculous that is because that is the reason for the gospel mm-hmm. is for the messy chaos of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me not to bring those things is missing out on actually experiencing the full beauty of the gospel. And so now I've, I've been able to process and break that down to, to bring all of me, not just parts of me or not just mm-hmm. the, the cleaned up uh, beautiful things that I want others to see mm-hmm. um, that I get to bring the mess. I get to bring the chaos yeah. and that he is with me in that. Yeah. And my guess is, you know, I know you've worked for the church for a long time. You would have, you would have said that, oh, Jesus loves you, not as you want to be, but as you are, like you knew that in your mind. Yeah. But in and through counseling, you were able to close that connection, but the disconnect between what you know in your mind and what you actually experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah. it's uh, Peter Scazzaro has a fantastic book on this emotionally healthy spirituality, where he yeah. can, he begins to process through the the iceberg analogy, where we got uh, like you know a little the tip of the iceberg is is what we you know know and uh, conceptually understand, and then trying to apply that to the rest of our lives, or at least maybe I'm using his analogy wrong. But Mm -hmm. the way that I've applied that is the rest of my life is the iceberg underneath the water. And so being able to take that little bit of knowledge that we have and apply it Mm -hmm. to the deepest, darkest areas of our lives that we, you know, have written off as you can't touch that. You can't talk about it. That's, that's closed. That door is shut and locked. And I threw the key away. Um, No, we're beginning to open that up, process Mm -hmm. through that and be okay with that and explore that. And so yeah. yeah. And tell me, tell me if this sounds right, what you're finding. And hopefully if you're listening, you'll know this too, not to be weird here, but when you lower the waterline, you realize Jesus has been there all along. Yeah. He's absolutely. already, he knows everything underneath that iceberg. Yes. The question is, do we, yes. and do you, and that's the process. And you can call that a lot of things, maybe sanctification is one, but beginning to know and understand what Jesus already knows. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's all knowing. And so that that's yeah. a humbling reality too. The sure. all the things that have happened in my life, God has been aware of and working through all of those situations, sure. which is a hard reality, but also an, an amazing reality. Sure. And so Jesus being able to navigate and weave all of those stories together to figure out, oh, he's gotten us to this point. Yeah. And what is he what is he gonna do in the future? Sure. This is 
good or hard or all of it. Yeah. Uh, and and how is he going to continue to use this sure. and weave this together? Sure. So you're here now. You you've kind of graduated from that counseling <laughs> stint. How how did you know? Uh, that you were done? Like at what point did you say, or did your counselor say, hey, it's time to graduate, it's time to move on? Yeah. So I think it was at a point where I realized there were some tools that I was given in counseling to be able to process through life as it hit me. Mm-hmm. And so I realized that counseling um, is really good about giving certain tools to you to to navigate the day in and day out of life and the difficulties that it can present. And so I think when I reached a point of quote unquote graduating, it was when I had been meeting for a while and my counselor said, hey, I think you have a pretty decent handle on things. You're not fixed, you're not better, but you have a handle on not things. Perfect, You're not that. perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's not what counseling is for. It's not right. to make you perfect. It's right. rather just to give you perspective and tools. Yeah. And so it was when I was able to kind of regurgitate information in an appropriate way mm-hmm. to say, hey, this is how I'm thinking and processing through life. Um, and they agreed, hey, I think you are in a good spot and a healthy spot yeah. to kind of move on and try to apply these things mm-hmm. and then come back if those applications are not working yeah. or you're stuck. What was it like? like hearing that and like knowing, okay, we're done. <laughs> I said, you're crazy. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, that's kind of how it felt though. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to apply these things in a full context of not having someone to lean on fully. But again, mm-hmm. that's where the, the reminder and helpful note of the gospel is there is that Jesus knows our hearts uh, and is with us and walking mm-hmm. through those stories and is there to help us in times of need and also uh, point us back to other people when we have those areas or different difficulties uh, where we don't know what to do. And to remember community is there to help challenge, encourage, and give guidance Mm. as well. And so realizing that we have so many more tools available to us if we can trust and if we can lean into those people that have earned uh, that trust. Yeah. So it sounds like part of the way that you kind of got over and managed that fear is realizing you're not alone. Yes. It's like you're not on your own. You've got help, whether that's through a friend, through a small group, through whatever it is, you can begin to practice some of those things. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Uh, I think this is one of the last questions I have for you. What would you say to somebody who's listening that maybe has lost a loved one, maybe tragically, uh, or somebody who just doesn't know how to grieve? Yeah. The foreign concept. Maybe those are two different things, but what would you say to, to somebody like that? Yeah, I would say that loss is a really difficult thing. It's disorienting, it's confusing. And so when you're experiencing something like that, it is best to realize, uh, not to to internalize a lot, because that's my bet, mm. is to deal with it on my own and not bring other people in. Because again, I'm just an emotional wreck and no one wants this baggage. And I hear that all the time from people too, is that, oh, I'm too much of a mess. I'm too, you know, things are too raw and I, I don't know what's going on. Well, that is exactly the moment that I have realized in my past that I should and need to go bring other people in on it and not do life alone. Because yeah, you might be a mess and you probably are and that's okay. Uh, you don't need to figure it out. You don't need to have all the answers, but rather um, being able to, to to get tools or get advice or get perspective or just having someone listen. Like it's amazing what can happen. Uh, and I, I, tell, I tell this to some people sometimes is, hey, if you just need to talk for five minutes where I just listen, that's okay. Because sometimes that's exactly what people need is just, I just need an ear and Mm -hmm. I can be that for some people. Or I need some people to be that for me because I'm frustrated and I'm confused and I'm angry and emotions don't really work on our timetable. 
uh, they come in and hit like tsunami waves mm-hmm. when we're least expecting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember right after my dad passed away, I was driving down the road, wasn't thinking about my dad at all, looked up at a billboard and it said, on this Father's Day, teach your kids to do blank. I can't even remember because I completely went offline wow. after I saw like this Father's Day. And I just, I was driving and I was bawling. And I I, I was, you know, I had to pull over. I was crying. Mm-hmm. I couldn't breathe. Yep. And it's a reminder that, uh, again, emotions don't happen when we want them to happen. Mm. Uh, memories don't surface when we want them to all the time. But yeah. what we do when they surface, what we yeah. do is uh, when when our emotions are out of control is mm. the most telling about how we handle and process through grief and yeah. loss. Yeah. And so I would just encourage anyone that's listening that's experienced loss or you know has maybe not dealt with loss from years previous to, to begin to get curious. I, you used that word earlier, and I think it's really true is that how we handle things as they come at us is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so begin to be curious and just process through slowly, not alone, but yep. with other people. I can't say it any better than that. And so I won't. Uh, <laughs> what I'll say for now is, James, I'm so glad uh, that you took your time away from daughter and dog and job and all that to come hang out with uh, a baldy like me. So uh, <laughs> seriously, I'm so thankful that uh, that you've been here. And I'm confident that if you listen to this, you're going to gain something from it. So Well, it's been an honor. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Stories in the Weeds is a special feature produced by With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting the episode to a friend. You can find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. 